everything heaven has for us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Will you go ahead and be seated? Praise be to God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited about being in the house of God. Hallelujah. I look forward to it. I really, I really do look forward to coming into the house of the Lord. There's just uh, something different. Seeing it. And a lot of people have kind of, they've lost that. Uh, they've lost that concept today. And really, they've lost that knowledge and wisdom of, of being in God's house. You know, it says in the Bible that Jesus made it a custom to always go into the synagogue. So, you know, if, if Jesus made it a custom to do it, shouldn't we have a revelation that it should be our custom? But see, we've kind of lost that custom because a lot of people are moving away from church and moving away from the Lord instead of drawing closer to Him and getting into the house of God because there's some things that God will only do when you're in His house. Now, He can heal you at home too, just like, just like any other time. But, you know, there's some things that will only happen in the house of God. It's, and He's not going to do them anyplace else. Now, what are those? I don't know. What, that, that's up to him. But there's some things that if you're not in the house of God, you're not going to get. You're just going to simply miss out on. So today, I want to talk to you, because of the importance of all of that, really, the, the title of today's message is Eternal Life. And really, what does it mean? You know, when, when we make, you make a, con, uh, a statement about eternal life, and we could ask a hundred different Christians... What does eternal life mean to you? Would probably get a whole bunch of different answers. I mean, some of them would kind of be the same, but a lot of them be different types of answers because of people's viewpoint on what eternal life means. But how many, how many of you know that in order for something to be scriptural, you've got to have scripture? Right. You have to have scripture. You can't just see, you talk about eternal life and say, well, this is what I believe eternal life is. Well, do you have scripture to back that up? All right, if you don't, it, it's kind of meaningless. So let's go to John chapter 3. And let's, let's start there. John chapter 3. And we'll begin there. John 3, I'm, I'm going to read to you from some of this from the Amplified too, so I'm going to kind of get myself prepared there when I do. John 3, and the, probably the most famous scripture you've ever heard, and probably the most well-known in the entire world, is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right, what's the key? What is the key there in that verse? Everlasting life. But see, what we've done in the church is we've made, we've made the key there that you wouldn't perish, that you wouldn't go to hell. So that's the focus is a lot of what, a lot of times what's been placed is you don't want to go to hell, you want, you want, you want to go to heaven. All right, so you need to give your life to the Lord so that what? You don't go to hell, but you go to heaven. But see, that's it, what it says here. It says, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, how many of you know now, you recognize that, pick that up spiritually, it's talking about right now. Yeah. It's not talking about a future event. It's talking about right now that you would have eternal life. All right? So Jesus is talking about getting something for right now, not something in the future. He's not talking about laying up something in the future for you. He's talking about something that you would have right now. That God so loved the world. Right? God had so much love for us that he, that he gave his only begotten son. So don't you think there's a, a strong, strong desire from the Father to be involved in our lives? I mean, just, just that one little scripture right there, we could take and see that God wants to be involved in our life. So much so that he said, he, he, he took his only son and said, Son, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go down there. And I need you, I'm going to have, to have you die on a cross so that I can have a relationship with these people again. Because now let's back it up because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve did what? They fellowshiped in the, in, the, in the cool of the afternoon. They fellowshiped with the Father. They didn't have any need. Everything was met. Everything was met. So all they did was they talked with the Father. The Father talked with them. They had open communication. Whenever they needed something to eat, they went down and got it. They, they, they were not afraid of the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my. They, they weren't, that wasn't even a concept. So he, they had open fellowship with the Father, and he with them. They, they, didn't have weed, they didn't have to go weed the garden because there was no weeds. All right? And God set this, principle, this law involved. He said, you can, of, of, of all the trees here, you can eat of any one of them. Any one of them. But that tree over there, that's my tree. You don't touch. You don't touch it. And actually, he didn't say you don't touch it. He said you don't eat of it. Who said you don't touch it? The devil said that. All right? He spoke to Eve because when the devil confronted, when Lucifer say about the father said we can't touch it or eat of it. He didn't say that. He said, See, a lot of times, a lot of preachers even miss this because they want to talk about touching it. He didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat of it. That's my tree. All right? You, you, you know, and he didn't, he didn't say it's okay to touch he, he just didn't say that. He said don't eat of it. Because in the day that you eat of that tree, that one right there, you're going to die. All right, something's going to happen. There's going to be a separation. All right, well, we know what happened. They, they, they ate of it. There was separation. They, got, they went out of the garden. And see, the whole concept of, of life for us is fellowshipping with the Father, and that's what they lost. That's what we lost because of one man's sin. We lost that, but Jesus came to get, us, to get it back. You know, what did, what did Jesus do? Sin was a barrier between 
the Father and us. Jesus came to do what? To remove the barrier. So that what? We can have fellowship with the Father. Now let's, let's look at another scripture here in John uh, 3. All right? And I, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. Verse 36. And he who believes in, that has faith in, that clings to, relies on the Son, has now possesses eternal life. But whoever disobeys is unbelieving toward, refuses to trust in, disregards, is not subject to the Son, will never see or experience life. But instead, the wrath of God abides on him. God's displeasure remains on him. His indignation hangs over him continually. That's pretty strong. Now see, the early church, they had a revelation on that, and that's why a lot of people... You know, we, we, we can come up with social reasons why people don't cling to the Lord and, and that, but really it's, it's biblical in the sense that if you, if you adhere to Jesus, you hold on to Him, you have a relationship with Him, all right, you're going to have eternal life, and it starts right today. It starts right at the, the very time that you gave your life to God, that eternal life is, in, is on you. Now, do you, do you acknowledge that, and also do you start to learn about how to operate in that? Most people don't. I, I didn't when I first got saved. I didn't. I mean, and that's why I almost immediately I backslid because I didn't have any revelation, I didn't have any understanding of it, I slid back into the world and started doing things the world's way for a number of years, all right? I'd ha and then I'd have kind of a, an experience with God, but see, God was moving in behind the scenes in my life continually, because what, what's He trying to do? He's trying to reveal His covenant to me. That's what He does with you. He starts revealing that covenant because He knows that if I, I start seeing the covenant, I'll start, I'll start listening to him. And I won't be experiencing the wrath of God, all right, on me because I'm participating in things that are not of him. Okay? But that's what, you know, that's what he's saying here. He said, he that, he that believes, it says in the King James, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, there's a key phrase there. It says, abides on him, not in him. Okay, the wrath of God on a, on a Christian. The but you can't experience the wrath of God on you, right? Thing when we talk about demons. Can a Christian... Be possessed of a devil. Well, you can't be possessed of a devil. You can be under demonic influence, right? 
because of things that you, that you do, things that you don't do. Well, it's just, it's the wrath of God. We've not been appointed unto the wrath of God. That's not our appointment. That's not what we're to walk in, the wrath of God. It was never God's plan for you and I as a believer to experience his wrath. And that really is backed up in this scripture, even though you might, you might try to take it and twist it in a different way. No, God's saying that, that if you believe in his son, you, your trust is in him. All right? You'll have eternal life. But if you turn and go the other way, and you walk after the ways of the world, the wrath of God will come upon you to do what? To discipline you. To correct you. So that what? You don't go to hell. See, this kind of changes things for those people that believe once saved, always saved, because, you know, why would God bring the wrath of God on you if once you got born again, it didn't matter, you're still going to heaven? Why would he allow us to experience the wrath of God? Wouldn't it be more to his glory that if I, as a person, gave my life to Jesus Christ, I never experienced the wrath of God at all, but I lived just like everybody else in the world. I sinned, I drank, I did drugs, I did whatever I wanted to do, all because at one time I had given my life to Jesus, so therefore I'm a Christian. The world would look and say, why does thing, good things seem to happen to you, Michael? You live just like me. And I would say, well, because one time, many years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. And now I'm free to go out and sin. I'm free to want to. I'm free to steal from you. I'm free to lie to you. But all these good things happen to me because I'm a Christian. That doesn't happen, does it? Because it's not true. And that's what he's saying right here. If you'll trust him, if you'll believe in him, you will have eternal life. You'll have it. You'll possess it. It'll be on you. Now go to John chapter 17. John 17. And, you know, I started out at, at, talking about, um, or making the statement about eternal life. If we asked a bunch of Christians, a hundred Christians, what was eternal life, we'd get a lot of different answers. Some of them would be the same or close to it, but many people would give different answers. But, you know, as I said earlier, in order for something to be scriptural, it's got to have scripture, right? So here is the answer, and, and no better one to give the answer than who? Jesus. Because red letters trump black letters, Right? In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says this, And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's he talking about? That you might know him. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about you and I Having a relationship with the Father, that is eternal life. 
I've said this before, I'll say it many, many more times, the most important relationship in your life, whether you recognize it or not, or anyone's life, is between you and the Father. Obviously, if you're, if you're not a Christian, it, uh, it's still an important relationship for you that you need to have, because without it, you're going to hell. But if you want to experience eternal life starting here on earth, that's what you have to have. And that's what Jesus said. He said, this is life eternal, that you might know him, the only true God. And that word know is talking about, an, it, it, it means an intimate relationship. It's, it's like the relationship that Eve, it said he knew her. All right? And they, produ and they produced uh, Cain and Abel. All right? She, she gave birth. So, so they see, this is the same word that Jesus is saying that we might know him, we might know the Father, we might develop a relationship, that's eternal life. Because out of that relationship, the Father is speaking eternal things to each one of us. All right, as I said before, Jesus, has, Jesus came to remove the barrier which was sin. All right? That we might have that relationship. The early church had such a powerful relationship with the Father. They were willing to die for God. When the Romans took the early Christians um, to the, oh, what is it? Uh, the Colosseum. And fed them to the lions. The Christians were so hungry, they were willing to be fed to lions. They look at the on this earth. To, to be eaten by lions, to give God glory. That was their mindset. And most people today, and I'm talking about I'm not talking about unsaved. The unsaved, they, they, they think that way anyway. But most Christians today would say, well, why would you want to do that? That's crazy. You, you, see, you don't have a revelation. And I'm not, I'm not saying go down to the zoo and jump over the fence and the lion's dead. And that's not what God's saying. But see, the Romans would execute Christians because we were so different than them at that time. Romans worshipped, had many gods. They had idols. They would set up idols in their homes and they would bow down and worship them. They would give homage to them. But here come the Christians. And they believe in this God that died and rose again. And what made them extremely different was they didn't have any idols. They didn't even have any idols for their God. We didn't build statues and, and, and worship a statue of Jesus. We didn't do that. And that, that brought great fear upon the Romans because here we they knew we was worshiping another God, but we didn't do it like the rest of the world did it. Because the rest of the world, they all had idols. They all had idols they would worship, but we didn't. And actually, a lot of the Romans thought, accused Christians of being atheists. Because they said, well, you don't even believe in a God. Why? Because 
You don't worship one like we do. Build a statue and worship him. They will know that you believe in a God. We were so different. And then when it came to them taking us and feeding us to the lions, Christians would literally go willingly and say, we're doing it for the glory of God. And what started to happen and brought great all of Rome was the love in the Christians' eyes, in the Christians' faces. They had such love for this God. It provoked the Romans to jealousy. How could you love something you don't even worship the way we worship? We don't understand this. And you do it with smiles on your faces instead of being angry and cursing us and yelling at us and complaining. If you did that, that would appease our flesh. We would feel like we're getting revenge on you. But no, you just go into this place, you smile, and you say, but this is for the glory of God. And then something else happened. The Romans started seeing that the people of Rome saw this, and they became jealous. And so what they started climbing over the walls, going into the dens of the lions, and willfully giving themselves to sacrifice. And what started as a small number grew to the point, eventually it got to the point where there were seven times as many Romans giving themselves for every one Christian. And Rome put a stop to it. Because there were a lot more people. Their numbers were dwindling. And they figured, if we don't do something, this is going to get crazy. And we're going to, the Christians will be more of them than there are of us. Well, that was going to happen out of the way. So they stopped it. And even, I, I read somewhere that, that um, a, a husband had taken the bodies of his wife and children who were, who were killed by the lions and taken their bodies and their bones and buried them in, a, in, 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 a, in an underground um, uh, sepulcher, I guess is what you would call it, and a, an underground tomb. They did that because the Romans, if they, if they crucified Christians, they would run a spike through them and... Um, they would just be for the animals to tear apart and things like that left out on the road. But this man uh, in this sepulcher or tomb underground had, had chiseled into the tomb, above the tomb, here lies my wife and my daughter who gave their lives for the glory of God. See, I, I don't know if we'd find any Christians. Why? Why? Because we don't have a revelation on the relationship. We're, we're trying to live life. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous, church. You're trying to live life with one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. Jesus has already said you can't serve two masters because you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. It doesn't mean that word hate does not mean it's something you're going to do right before you hit somebody or you kill them. It, it simply means to love less. 
to not respect, to not honor, to not be thankful. Go to Deuteronomy 28. I want you to look at this, this word here because we need this revelation. In Deuteronomy 28... And the church has got this flip-flopped here. And you'll hear a lot of preaching in that way. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe and to do all of His commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. That part's not even taught. It's not even taught in most churches. Very, very few will you find that scripture mentioned. But this one here, verse 2 now, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if you shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And so what we do is we focus on the first half of that verse. We don't focus on the last half. We talk about all the blessings shall come on you and you will overtake you. Oh, by the way, if you hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. And we kind of preach it that way. So we sing songs about the blessings are overtaking us. When you look at the body today as a whole, I don't mean every church, because there's, there is quite a few churches out there. It's not this way. But most of the churches, they're pursuing the blessings of God. But God said in His Word, if you'll listen to my voice and do it, the blessings will pursue you, and they'll overtake you. Didn't say anything in there about you pursuing the blessing, does it? Why? Because, see, part of eternal life is the blessing pursuing you. Because of what? Because of your relationship. Adam and Eve, you find it happening in, in their, when they were in the garden. It did that. The blessing of God pursued them. It overtook them to the point... All they had to do was fellowship with God. Clean the house? Oh, there was no dust. Weed the garden? No weeds. Prepare for winter? Didn't, didn't have, that wasn't a problem. Same temperature year-round. Need a raincoat? Didn't rain. All taken care of. What was happening? The blessing of the Lord was overtaking them. And you know what? I don't know even though that they knew it. It was always that way. See, if it's always that way when you are when in the beginning, you don't recognize it unless you see it, unless God tells you. Now, maybe somewhere along the line, the Lord told him, 
He said, I've prepared all, and he, he said, I've prepared a pl- you know, this place for you. And he did say, in a sense, he said, you can have any tree in this garden, but that one there is mine. He's still got a tree out there called the tithe tree. All right, it's, yeah, that, that covenant's still there. Why? Because he established that all the way back in the garden, before law. It's not changed. And so what we have is we have a lot of Christians in trouble. We have a lot of Christians with the wrath of God pursuing them because why? They've walked away from that relationship. It's coming on them. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4, I want you to see this. Jesus said eternal life. This is eternal life, that what, that what? We may know the Father. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. What well, were created for God's pleasure? I, I read this scripture today and this morning. I was talking to the Lord the other, the other day about faith. I said, Father, I know, I know that in your word it says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I said, Father, you know, I, I like to teach people. I think it's clearer to them if I say it this way. And this is the way I've kind of always said it. Without faith, it's impossible to receive from God. I said, now, I know I'm not more right than you. So I need revelation. I need revelation on that. Why did you choose to say, without faith, it's impossible to please him? Here it is, right here. Revelation 4. Because we were created for His pleasure. You and I were created. So next time somebody has a question, why were, why, what is all this about? It's found right here in Revelation 4.11. God created you and me for His pleasure to have a relationship. The reason why your life is a struggle, the reason why any, any Christian or anybody is having problems in their life, all right, is because your relationship with the Father is not what it should be. Whatever that is, whether you've got one or not, you may have one, but you're having issues in your life. The reason why you're having issues is because there's something the Father's trying to say to you and you're not listening because you're probably being distracted by something else. You need to spend more time focusing with Him, talking with Him. Every single day. Every single day. It's not just something on Sunday we do. But we put value on that, on that because why? That's eternal life. That's part of eternal life. That you and I are working on this, this relationship with, with the Father, with heaven, and we're enjoying that. Because part, part of that relationship, you know, it, it develops the love of God in your life. Because you, 
You can't have a relationship with the Father and not have love start flowing out of you because He's love and the impartation that you get from the Father is love. So that you can love other people even when they don't deserve to be loved. That's what God did. He said, God so loved that He said, I love the world so much that I sent my Son to die. If you look, go back, let's look at this scripture. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Look here with me, real quick. First Corinthians 13. People get hung up into this thing. Um, religion. You know, we were with, we were with Brother Greg yesterday and doing a podcast, and he had this shirt on, and uh, it, it had a picture of Jesus on the front, or an outline of it, and across the top, top it, it's not about religion. And then at the bottom said, it's about relationship. And it really, I mean, that, that, that in a nutshell is the gospel. It's not about religion. You know, I like people I'll, I'll meet at, you know, at work in various places, and they find out that, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. They say, oh, you're, you're a religious person. I say, oh, no, 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 I'm not religious. Jesus will set you free from that. Yeah, and that kind of really catches them off guard. Because, see, that just, I just threw a wrecking ball into their whole belief system. Because they identify Jesus with religion. And against the religious people of the day. Why? Because religion just puts you in a, in a situation, in a belief, that it teaches you what it, they want you to believe. Not what the Word of God wants you to believe. Which is freedom. So, in, in 1 Corinthians 13... Uh, verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not love. Now the King James says charity. It, it, it describes the love of God. He says, It profits me nothing. So, Next time you take action in your life, realize that if you're not doing it from an aspect of love and you're not displaying the love of God, not your love, not your idea of love, it doesn't profit you nothing. And in other words, you are wasting your time. Has there ever been a time you've done something and you, you think you're doing it in, in, the, in the mindset, with the mindset of Christianity, with and the idea that you're doing it with the Word of God, so you've convinced yourself that you're right, and the other people are wrong, and nothing changes, and you get really mad and upset because why won't they listen to me? Well, the problem is, is, is it's you. You answered your question. Why won't they listen to me? Nobody's, going to, nobody's interested in you. They're not interested in me. They are interested in Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up. He didn't say anything about you or me being lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all other men to me. So what should we do? We should lift him up. And what is God? God is love. So we, if we lift up love, 
all right, will profit. That's what, that's what really Paul was saying here. He says, because I, I don't do it with love, I don't profit anything. But if I do it with love, not my idea of love, but, but Jesus' love, it'll, it'll, change, it'll turn things around. Because what? I'm doing it out of respect, out of, out of, out of a relationship with him. So what is that? What, what is love? Well, you read the rest of the chapter. What love is, is kind. It's patient. It's not overbearing. It doesn't think of itself. I mean, I want you to think about this. When did, when did you feel conviction the most? When somebody spoke to you out, out of an, a religious conviction, trying to convict you strongly because you were wrong and they were right? Or when they did it with the love of God? And there was no anger in their voice. There was no hostility in their actions but there was this great peace behind it. See, it, it just took your wall and melted your wall down. That's what the love of God does. It, it takes that defensive wall that we love to put up, that people love to put up. It takes that defensive wall that we love to put up, and the love of God, it, it, just, it just melts it. And then what it does is His Word comes in and it ministers to us and makes us realize that how we're doing this is not right. And the reason why we're having issues in our life is because of we're not doing what the Lord said to do and how He said to do it because His way is the right way. You're no longer your own person. You no longer can say, I can do what I want to do. No, you can't because you've been bought with a price. You've been bought. You and I have been bought, paid for. We're no longer our own people. That's what makes us different from the world. That's why the world hates you. You something, and you're starting to understand that you've got something they don't have. That's why they hate us. You have a relationship. You have eternal life. And I know there's many people that call themselves Christians out there and they don't have eternal life. They have the wrath of God. They're feeling the wrath of God. Why? Because God's trying to say, don't do it that way. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. 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 And then something really bad happens. And then others stand around and wonder, well, I don't understand. They went to church. They said they was a Christian. Why did God do that? Why did God kill them? Well, <laughs> God don't kill people. That's the thief. See, it's called disinformation. The devil is the author of disinformation. He, he, he tells you stuff and convinces you that it's true, and it's not even true. And you buy into it. God's out there, you know, there's how many churches out there telling people that we don't know why God took your little baby home. Why He, why he allowed that cancer to ravage their body. 
And mama, while you had to lay up all night long for weeks and months crying out to me because I've got a better plan for them. That's crazy. That's disinformation. That's straight from the pit of hell. And you got people sitting out there and just patting them on the patting mama on the shoulder. Now, now, now. God, God's ways are mysterious. We don't understand them. That's because you won't read the book. It's in the book. We don't want to spend time walking in eternal life. We got too many other things that are, we're busy on. We got to go home and watch football. You got to go home and watch 11, 22 clowns get out on a pasture that earlier that week the birds were walking on and doing you don't know what on. And they're playing with a little piece of dead cow. Okay, cowhide. I think it's made of cowhide now. Well, it could have been pigskin in early days. Whatever. And you got tens of thousands of people going crazy and, and dressed looking like a bunch of idiots and fools. But show them a picture of somebody coming into church, the house of God, the power of God hitting them and knocking them on the floor. They think you're a bunch of idiots. They think we're a bunch of idiots. Yet they'll go out in, a, in front of a national television audience and make an idiot out of themselves. They, and they got nerve to turn around and tell us we're a bunch of fools. Why? Because we've got something they don't have and they don't understand it. And it scares the hell out of them. Yeah, I said it. It scares the hell out of them. That's what the gospel does. It'll scare the hell out of people. Amen. What we need to do as preachers, we need to be presenting the, the Bible in a way it scares the hell out of people. I don't mean taking the Bible and beating it on the, on the pulpit. I, I'm, I'm talking about presenting the truth to where people start to see it on the inside that, look, I've got to make a change in my life. It's got to be today. I've got to develop this relationship with the Father because it's of vital importance. That's why Jesus came. That's why He's here. You know, in the book of Acts... Well, let's go there. Acts 13. The Spirit of God spoke to the disciples here. In verse 2 it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, now, what were they doing ministering to the Lord? They were worshiping God. They were, they were worshiping the Father in heaven. They weren't telling Him about what they needed. They weren't talking to Him about their Father. 
You are so wonderful. You are so marvelous. We worship you. We praise you. We honor you. We esteem your words. We want to hear what you have to say. And not only do we hear it, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Whatever it is you say. If you tell us to go to New York City, that's where we'll go. We're afraid. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work weren't you I've called them. It says, verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed from Silencia and went from sail to, to Cyprus. And they... <laughs> Yes. And it says the, in verse 6, And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the, the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist, and a darkness, and he went out seeking to lead them by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And then Paul and, and um, uh, Barnabas were arrested and thrown in jail. All right? But something happens there in jail. As they're residing in jail, rather than being, and this wasn't just a jail, all right, this was filled with the, the filth, the most unsanitary conditions possible. They didn't get down in this jail and start whining and crying about their situation. Here they are, in this situation. What do they do? They start, they start worshiping Him while they're in jail. What happens? All of a sudden, the earth shakes, and the doors fly open. They, they go to leave. It says, verse 16, Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you that all fear God, give audience. The God of, of his people of Israel, choose our fathers, exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. 
and about the time of the forty years suffered in their manners. And when he had destroyed seven nations. Okay, he goes on here. Well, later on, anyway, I'll just paraphrase rather than read all this because that's going to take up some time. The gates fly open. And there was a guard that was going to kill himself. But they stopped him. And what happened? Life to the Lord. All because of what? These men worshipped God. They took time out to worship and fast. And God, so the Holy Spirit told them to separate them and send them there. And they go there and they get to jail because they cast the devil out of a person that was tormenting, a person that was, that was being witnessed to about the Word of God. Right? And then what, and then what happened? As they're in jail, they're worshipping, they come out, a man, uh, the guard's ready to kill himself because in that day, if, if, if you were to guard these Christians and they got out, to your life. So anyway, Paul and Barnabas, they worshipped God. They praised Him. They sung praises to Him. They worshipped Him. And God opened, God opened the gates simply because of their praise and they're giving of thanks. They weren't saying, Lord, get out of here. Oh, Lord, all this stuff that you, you said to us, look where you brought us. You brought us to this place, we're going to die here. No, they didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? Because they had an ongoing relationship with the Father. They already had it. They didn't wait till they were in jail and say, we probably need to develop this relationship thing. We're in some pretty bad situations here. We're going to need God's help. No, they had already developed that in their lives so that when they got in that position, they already knew what to do and they knew what the Father would, he would respond. Because what? It's a covenant. They had a revelation on covenant. They, you know, they said that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What were they doing? They were calling on His name. They were worshiping. Oh, Father, you're faithful. Father, you're faithful. You are so good, Lord. You are so good. You are so faithful. We trust you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that no weapon, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. It won't prosper. It won't prosper. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that the power of God is in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And we worship you, Father. So what happens? The power of God starts moving. Notice what got God to shake the jail and cause the doors to open. It was worship. 
It was their praise. And as, as they ministered to the Lord, it, it, it caused the power of God to move. It caused God to move. That's the power of thanks. That's the power of eternal life. Eternal life does things like that. Eternal life will, will change. See, as a, as a Christian that has eternal life, you ha should have an expectation to hear from heaven and get direction, but at the same time, there's also your, your appreciation that you're giving the Father. Because it's what? It's relationship. It's relationship. And that's what Jesus was saying. This is eternal life that they may know you. They may know that in any situation, you are there, you are present, Father, and you are more than willing and more than able. And they, by using their faith, will please you, will give you pleasure, which you say in your word that we were created by the Heavenly Father to please Him. And without, the Word of God says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So what do we do? They're using their faith. They were using their faith. They were praising and worshiping is an action of faith. And it caused God to move. Did you get something today? Praise God. Glory to God. Well, Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you, Father, for, for the hearing of your word. Father, we purpose not only to be hearers of the word, but doers of your word. Glory to God. Glory to God. For all those out there in, in social media, if you don't have a church home, we, we invite you to come and, and be part of the service. We're on 1030 on Sunday mornings here in, in, in Boonville, Indiana, 1120 South 8th Street. And uh, come in and enjoy our new seats. You'll have the best seat in the house because they're all brand new. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We call you blessed. Father, I just speak the word of God over everyone here. I call them blessed. I call them the head, not the tail, above, not beneath. Father, everything they, they put their hands to will prosper. Father, I ask the Holy Spirit to bind the words that were spoken by you today to our spirits for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.